But why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the quiet life. The quiet life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be reading in verses 9 through 12. And the title of this message, because I could not get any more creative, is simply The Quiet Life. We're going to study a number of different passages, a number of different scriptures and concepts, all pertaining to being diligent. Being diligent. So we're going to read this passage that is a letter to a church in Thessalonica by this guy named the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. We'll pray and we'll talk about it. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says this. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In other words, you, you guys know this. I don't have to keep telling you this stuff. You know this. God himself told you to love one another. We went over that in 1 John not too long ago. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more in your love, that is. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we open your word this evening, that we, you speak to our hearts, Lord, and you would prove that you are a real and living God that loves us. And we believe that every night that we have set aside to open your word is a night that our lives could be changed forever. And we don't want to take that lightly, so we need your spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old riddle that you've probably heard before at some point in your life that goes like this. If a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? Now, up until I took a philosophy course while I was in college, I had no idea what this riddle is about. Of course it makes a sound. And then people said, well, nobody's there to observe it. And sound is like... You know, sound waves vibrate in your ears, so technically it doesn't make a sound. But that's not really what the guy meant when he first talked about this concept. The guy was named George Berkeley, and he was a philosopher way back when, I think the 1600s. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a historian. I like to think I'm a philosopher, but I'm not a historian. This guy, George Berkeley, basically was talking about this concept called phenomenalism. <laughs> it's a huge word. But Jenny Quillis knows the word because I talked about it in junior high. I should have never been a junior high pastor. But she remembers the word, so maybe that means I was a success. I have no idea. Anyway, I'm ADD. Maybe I do belong at junior high. <laughs> there is a concept called phenomenalism, and it said that sense data is the same thing as reality. Sense data meaning things that you can perceive through the senses. So this is where George Bogley has a quote that uh, to be is to be perceived. And he would say things like this. If you think of an uh, idea of your dad, right, just in your mind's eye, think of your dad. You can't think about the concept of your dad without imagining the sense data of your dad. How your dad looks, how your dad talks, 
how your dad smells, <laughs> you know? Sense data. So what these phenomenalists would say is that perception is reality. They would say what you perceive is the same exact thing as the object itself. So what does it have to do with anything? Well, this means that matter doesn't really exist. It's just an idea, and ideas are the only things that exist. So George Barclay would argue that it could be possible that if no one is perceiving a tree in the middle of a forest and it falls down, it doesn't make a sound and it doesn't even exist. Things only exist in perceptions of minds. So it's a really trippy concept. It's really strange. And they get around it by saying this. Either people are always in their mind thinking about trees randomly in the earth and that's how the universe is sustained. Or God is the ultimate mind that imagines all of reality. So reality itself is just kind of God's idea. Whew. Now why am I talking about that? <laughs> I don't know. Let me look at my notes. I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. We have a similar concept in our day and age with social media. And that is this. That if people don't notice it, then it doesn't really matter. I'll prove it. If you're on Spotify and you're just kind of scrolling around, you know, like when you're just listening to different bands, if you kind of just randomly uh, stumble upon a band, right, and they only have like less than a thousand listens, more than likely, you're just going to keep on skipping. You'll listen to maybe 10 seconds and you'll keep on going. But if the guy has 40 million listens, you're going to take time to listen. Because you believe, and I believe, our culture believes that if something is important, then people are going to notice. When you see viral videos, when you think, see things shared a billion times, people pay attention. And this is the view that we have in our day and age, that people think that in order to be important, you have to be noticed. And the converse is true, too. That if people are unnoticed, that means that you are unimportant. And Paul the Apostle challenges this idea by telling the Thessalonians to live a quiet life. Look what he says at verse 11. You also aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business, to work, work with your hands as we commanded you. So he says, I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you, I'm challenging you. Live a quiet, a peaceful life, a life of peace. A life where you're not drawing attention to yourself. You're minding your own business. You're doing what God has called you to do, and you're not worried whether or not people notice you. So my whole thesis for this entire series and this message is this. We can live a life unnoticed by men that pleases God. We can live a life unnoticed by men that pleases God and have eternal effects. Now imagine the moon was a person, right? Let's imagine that the moon is up there and its job is to reflect the light of the sun and also block our earth from comets and whatever else. Ask the scientist, the PhD, Eva Margareta. I just had to throw your name in once a message, so. Uh, so let's say that the moon was actually a person, like he had a personality, he could talk. And he started saying, you know what? I do my job day in and day out and nobody notices me. I'm going to start making a whole bunch of noise every single morning to let people know I'm here. And then whenever the moon rose in the sky, it just made this giant noise. Like, hey, I'm the moon. I'm here. It's like, 
we don't need the moon to show up. We don't need the, the moon to make noise in order to fulfill its function. And by being quiet up there in the sky, doing its thing, it actually uh, provides an essential property that we would not be able to live without. If the moon wasn't there, we would not be able to exist here and have life on earth. And in the same way, I think a lot of times people feel like if they're not heard, they're not seen, then not only do people not care, but that means that I'm not important. Well, I have three points for tonight, and the first one is this. The need to be noticed is a sign of pride. The need to be noticed is a sign of pride. There's a lot of people that are ambitious in ministry. I'm always, like, really careful about that. Whenever people are just, like, they're really excited to have a position of authority or position where everybody sees them. So when people, and listen, nothing against this, but sometimes people are saying, man, I want to serve on the worship team. And then I say, yeah, we have a need in children's worship. And they're like, well, that's not what I meant. I meant like up there. Like, oh, you want to be on a platform and you want a microphone. That's what you want, right? And deep down inside, we would never say that. But we should be careful when we look at opportunities and we're not really interested in the opportunity. We're interested in being able to self-promote or put ourselves in the spotlight. Me and uh, Pastor Andy Dean, who is the former youth pastor, used to have this principle that we never ask to teach anywhere. Because it seems presumptuous to say, you know what, you'd be a great pastor if you let me teach in your pulpit. Like, who? I don't know. If God really wants me to teach, I think he's going to provide the opportunity. Now, I say that with a disclaimer. And that's this. Many of you don't serve at all because you're afraid of being selfish or you're afraid of being ambitious in the wrong kind of way. And because you're sorting through those motives, you're like, ah, I just, I feel like that would go to my head. I just don't want to do it. If your propensity is to say, you know what, I don't think I should do it, maybe you should. And maybe if your propensity is like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, I want to do that. I want to be in the spotlight. Then maybe you should take a step back. This is how I challenge people in prayer circles as well. If you're the type of person, or even just a small group, if you're in a small group and you're always the guy that, that has something to say, think about like maybe giving other people a chance to share because maybe they're just, they just feel so self-conscious that they're afraid of saying something stupid so they never say anything. And if you're a person that's really self-conscious and you're afraid of saying something stupid, maybe it's time to say something. Maybe it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to say something because it doesn't really matter what people think about me, because maybe what I share might be able to encourage somebody else. Sunday night, I was uh, invited by Pastor Lloyd to hang out with a bunch of the pastors from Bridgefest. And so people that, like, teach in mega churches and, you know, like a bunch of those guys that are on the radio, etc. And as I'm hanging out with him, like, I'm this young guy, right? So I'm hanging out, and anytime at Lloyd asks me to hang out, I'm, I'm going to say yes, right? It's like an opportunity to hang out with an experienced pastor. So I'm sitting there in, in the small group, and I'm thinking, okay, I usually say something stupid, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen and glean in. And, and Lloyd was just like trying to give me opportunities to speak because he was looking out for me. He was like, I guess a great small group leader does that, right? Like giving a person an opportunity to speak. So I'm, I'm just chiming in when asked, but other than that, I'm, I'm shutting up. And then Poncho, Pastor Poncho Juarez, starts just like laying on the jokes. And like I've never seen Lloyd cry while laughing, but he's dying. And I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh boy, I hope they don't ask me to share a story. And Lloyd does. It's like, Alan, do you have any funny stories? I'm like, sure. And so I just thought of the, like, the first story that came to mind, and nobody laughed. 
everyone just smiling like, cool. <laughs> it just killed the vibe like, oh gosh, and it just completely bonds. You ever have that moment? It's like your story just completely falls flat and you feel so embarrassed. I probably shouldn't have shared that story, but here's the thing. Many of you are afraid of sharing because you're afraid of looking stupid, but if it's a word of encouragement, you never know unless you try. Like, I, ultimately, I don't care what people think about me. There might be, like, that initial selfish part of me that cares, but that shouldn't keep us because of fear from always doing what God is laying on our heart. So, that being the case, we have to ask the question, why is it that we ask for the spotlight? Why is it that we ask to be a starter on the soccer team or the basketball team or whatever, lead worship, to teach? I think the reason why we ask for spotlight is this. Pay attention. Because we're afraid that we won't have an influence unless we take it upon ourselves. Isn't it true? We feel like unless we take hold of the opportunity and we put ourselves in the spotlight, then really we're not going to be used. We won't be able to make a difference. But actually, because God is the one who's running the universe and not us, he says it's the reverse. He says in Luke chapter 18, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The larger context of that passage is this. He's telling a parable. He says, hey, listen, two men went up from the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and one was, one was a tax collector. The Pharisee, a religious guy, stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, and he points to the dude, right, as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the person who stands out there in, in the middle of the temple and says, God, I thank you so much, I'm not like this jerk over here. And then the person who's a sinner who recognizes that he needs forgiveness is the one who's heard. Not the person who has empty and vain repetitions. I think about, if you look at politics today, most of us don't care about politics, if we're honest, right? Like, I care because I'm old, I'm 28. But you guys, if you're honest, you probably don't care. Some of you may, but most of you don't. And I can tell you why. Probably because, number one, you feel like it has nothing to do with you. Number two, you watch commercials, and all the, the politicians' ads are about is, like, trashing the other guy, right? In order to present a case about yourself, you have to trash and demolish the other person. And you think they're all just, they're all just um, lying and stealing and, and people that are immoral people. Well, think about it. We do the same thing on a different scale, don't we? When we do auditions and you're hoping, you're praying that if you're auditioning for a role in a play, that everybody else breaks a leg, that they just do terrible, that they get nerves. You're looking at them like, oh, Lord, they're, they're probably not a Christian. You're not on his side. You're on my side, Right? Or you're networking. You're looking for a friend group that is going to raise you up in position. Looking for people that are popular. Looking for people that have what you want. And the only reason why you're hanging out with those people is to use them. And we wonder why other people use us. But listen. 
The good news is that God does not need you to open doors of opportunity for yourself. He doesn't need you to do that. You really think like God's like, hey, listen, I was going to use you in a mighty way, but you didn't push other people aside to be first in line, so therefore I'm not going to take you in. You didn't like kick that dude so he broke his leg and he wouldn't make the audition, therefore I'm not going to use you. You know, like God doesn't need you to do that. He can find ways to exalt the humble. This is why the Bible encourages us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Absolutely nothing. And then here's a question you might have. What's wrong with being ambitious? Aren't we supposed to be ambitious for God? Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't you supposed to try your hardest, run the race with endurance, etc.? Well, I would say it's not wrong to have ambition, but the question is, who are you ambitious for? Who are you ambitious for? Are you ambitious for the Lord and his kingdom? Or are you ambitious for you and your agenda? Selfish ambition, you see, breeds division in the body of Christ. We are one body. The Bible uses this as an analogy. Christ is the head and we are his body. Now imagine that you were working out and you only worked out your right arm. Right? Your right arm got huge and your left arm was a toothpick. Like everyone was like, that's a very odd man. <laughs> right? That would be strange. So why, at the cost of other members of the body, would we feel like we want to highlight us? We want one portion of the body to be highlighted. The whole body is going to just be weird and awkward if we have certain strengths and weaknesses in others. Instead, we should seek for the entire body to grow. You know what it is when people say, I want to grow at the expense of others? You know what that's called? Evolution. Survival of the fittest. It's the thought of, I need to survive, and so what I'm going to do is trample on others so that I can be put forward. Instead, the quiet life, the life of diligence, the life of peace, says, I don't need to do anything. God will lift me up in due season. He'll lift me up in, in due time. And in the meantime, I'm going to work for the edification of the entire body. So, time for one of those questions that makes people not want to come back to youth group. Here's a question. Here's a good indicator to find out whether or not you have this kind of pride. Ready? Do you judge those who are weaker than you and envy those who are stronger than you? Good indicator of your pride is this. Do you judge those who are weaker than you? In other words, you look at those that are, like, not doing as well, and you're like, Psh, what's wrong with that guy? Like, I totally got it together, and they can't, it's, it's, it's so simple. What's wrong with them? And you look at a person who's stronger or better than you, and you're completely, you're like, you can't even be around them. Like, every time they talk, every time they, they talk about their wins, their victories, you're just like, well, psh, they probably cheated. That's why. Right? That person that you envy is dating the person that you like. And the only reason is because that person has lost their mind. It couldn't be the, the case that this person is actually a good fit for them. It's because they lost their mind, right? That is an indicator, ladies and gentlemen, of pride, of selfish ambition of wanting yourself to grow at the cost of others. I think about in the, in the passage in Matthew chapter 6, 
when Jesus said about prayer, he said this, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like a person who says, who condemns a certain thing and does the exact same thing as what they do. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. I think about when you see, like, you'll be in a prayer circle, and you immediately judge everybody else who's just fumbling around their words, and then you're looking for the most eloquent prayer. Or maybe you're one of those people that can't really, like, is kind of nervous to pray in front of other people. And when people are just using the words, they're like, Psh, that's not genuine. That's not a genuine prayer. And we start judging other people, even in a prayer circle. And God says, here's the alternative. Just, just go off to your prayer closet and pray in secret. You don't have to brag in front of other people. Just bring it be between you and me. And so when we have selfish ambition, when we have pride, the best thing to do is do things that will get you no credit. Do things that nobody will notice. When you look at other people and you judge them for being weaker, when you look at other people that are stronger and you envy them, the best thing you can do is love and love them in secret. Where no one else, because if you love the person that's weaker than you, people will reward you. What a generous guy. And this is what we do, right? Like we give to people that are in need and then we want the credit. Like, the person's like, God provided, I got $100 for the summer retreat, I'm so thankful. And you're like, Psh, I wonder who that was. That person's probably a generous person, wouldn't you say? Was it you? It's like, yes, well, I didn't want to say anything, but you know what? I'll give up my rewards in heaven because I think that it's better to bless you and let you know who it was. You know, like, to do that, but do it in secret. And then to love that person who's better than you still provide to pray for the person that's stronger and better than you and then do that in secret where no one else knows. You're not walking up to them like, hey, listen, I just want to know, like, what can I pray for you? They know. They know you're bitter. They know that you're envious. Take it to the Lord and bring it before him and bless him in secret where no one else can give you the credit. But God sees and will reward you openly. So the need to to be noticed is a sign of pride in our life. Number two, God doesn't need us to be noticed to use us. Our second point, God doesn't need us to be noticed to use us. So kind of shift gears for a second and ask this question because I probably made all of you be like, I'm not coming back next week because that was too convicting. But let me like humanize myself and sympathize with you for a second or empathize, one of those two. Why do we feel the need to be noticed? Why do we feel the need to be noticed? I think for two reasons. Number one, we are afraid of being forgotten. The reason why we always look for the spotlight, the reason why we're looking for people's attention is because we're afraid that we're going to be forgotten. We're going to be the only one who is not invited to the party. And you look on your Instagram feed, and you look at the story, and you're counting all your friends, and you're like, huh, something's missing. And I didn't get an invite. You're afraid that if you don't grab people's attention, you're going to be the person that's, like, 
you never come back to youth group, and nobody even texts you. No one ever reaches out to you. You're afraid of being that person that's forgotten, and that's why you're looking for people's attention. You're looking for people to see you because you're afraid of being that one person that's lonely, still single, all of your friends are married and happy, having kids, and you're the only person left out. Well, here's what we do. If we're afraid of being forgotten, oftentimes the way that we try to fix it is this. We dress a certain way, especially for ladies, but it could be for guys too. You dress to draw attention to yourself. You wear certain, like, I didn't know you wear cologne. But suddenly you're trying to leave a lasting impression so that you're not forgotten. Maybe even acting out like the class clown. You just want to leave a lasting mark on your classroom. Even causing trouble sometimes. People do that because they're afraid that nobody will remember who they are and they're not going to make a difference. I really think, though, the reason why you do that is because you don't know who you are. And you're trying to figure it out. That's why you have to do stuff that people will remember. Well, here's the good news. The good news is, well, I'll tell you by, by way of story. In Genesis chapter 16, many of you guys know about two women named Hagar and Sarai, later known as Sarah. Abraham was married to this woman named Sarah, and they were promised that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And later on, we know that guy's named Isaac. So Abraham's waiting, and they're both like 100 years old. And they're like, well, I'm not an expert. I'm not yet a scientist because we don't have those yet. But I'm pretty sure you can't have kids when you're 100 years old. So listen, so Sarah comes up with this plan. And Sarah's like, hey, Abraham, why don't you just kind of just, you know, have kids with my maidservant? Like crazy, but this is the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come yet, so give him a break. So Abraham's like, sure, why not? That sounds like a great idea. And this is a picture of a work of the flesh. To make God's promises happen by your own means. How many of us do that, right? God has promised you something. You're like, okay, I'll make it happen. Because God's not pulling through. So I'm going to do what I think he would, what, what he would want me to do. And so what happens is Abraham has this child with this woman named Hagar. And then immediately... Hagar and Sarah started to have envy problems. And Sarah starts complaining to Abraham saying, listen, now I'm despised in the eyes of my maidservant. She can't even look at me anymore. Send her away. And so Hagar, who never even asked for this, just obeys and, and does what she's told, is now hurt and she's ridiculed and she's sent out from both Abraham and Sarah into the middle of the desert, almost like Nobody knows. Nobody remembers. In the middle of the desert, even though, because we know Sarah has a kid and it's Isaac, and that's where we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have Jesus through that lineage, etc. But in the middle of the desert, an angel of the Lord meets Hagar and asks her why she's crying. Ask her why you're so sorrowful. And it's there that God proves to us that he still remembers each and every person. And this is what Hagar says about this angel. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, it says, She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Listen, of all people to forget about you, God will never forget about you. Isn't it true that Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to chase after the one? 
which makes no economic sense for us, right? But Jesus remembers those that everyone else has forgotten. The story of the prodigal son, the son that leaves and spends all of his father's inheritance, and he comes back, and the father runs out to meet him. The Bible says in uh, 2 Samuel that God devises ways to bring us back to him, even when we are far from him. I think about this illustration, and you may have heard me say this before, but if you think about like a 2,000-piece puzzle, like there's a billion pieces, right? Like, well, 2,000. 2,000 pieces. A lot of pieces. You're trying to put the pieces all together. Let's say that you got all 1,999 pieces together and you're missing one piece. No one looks at that and is like, well, I'm content. It's basically done. It drives you crazy, right? You are losing your mind. You're like, where the heck is that one piece? You're like tearing up the couch. You're like kicking down the door. Like, ah, you're going crazy. Because you can't find the one missing piece and the thing is not complete unless it's there. And listen, you are part of God's universe. And there is no part of God's universe that is without purpose. There's no part that is there by mistake. You're not an accident. God foreordained you to exist so that you could be an essential piece to his puzzle. And to prove this, I think, by analogy, what God showed us is God created man out of what? Dust. Literally the most useless material on the planet. No one makes dust sculptures. No one makes dust engines. We don't do anything with dust other than sweep it out of the house. And God says, if I breathe into dust, I can create life. And he can breathe into your life and create purpose and give you a calling. So, second reason, all that to say, I think the reason why we feel the need to be noticed is because we're afraid to be forgotten. Number two, we think the only effective parts of the body of Christ are the ones that we can see. We think the only, this is why we're acting out, this is why we're doing things to compensate. It's because we're afraid that the only effective parts of the body of Christ are the ones that are visible. So you look at the church, you know, and you're like, well, I'm definitely not called to be a pastor. I can't sing, can't play an instrument. Therefore, I have no place in God's economy. I have no place in God's world. And we think that pastors are the ones that matter. Staff is the one that matter. And, and the people that are like hired by the church or worked by the church are the ones that matter. It's not true at all. In fact, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians with me, chapter 12. It's worth reading this long passage. It's not so long, don't worry. It's eight verses. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. I really believe that Paul the Apostle wrote this passage so that you would have no excuse. That you couldn't say this, okay? And he uses an analogy about the body of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. The body of Christ is not a singular foot. He says, there's many members. If the foot should say, in verse 15, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So he put you there. He's put you into this church for a reason as it pleases him. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? That'd be weird if you were just a giant foot. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, verse 25, that there should be no schism, argument, division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So what's really cool if you think about this? Like, the concept of analogy, okay? It's something I've been thinking about. Like, analogy means this is like this. I think that it's a mode of God communicating what the eternal reality is like. And I think the Bible says that too. So knowing that, think about this. God has created the body to speak about his glory, to speak about his church, to speak about us. And if you think about it, Paul is actually using this as an analogy, by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to say the most important members of the body are the ones you can't see. Could you live without a brain? Nope. Could you live without a liver? Nope. Could you live without a heart? Nope. Can you live without your hand? Yes. Can you live without a foot? Yep. And yet, everyone wants to be the one that's noticed. The one that we can see. Can see the hand. Can see the foot. But we're one body. We all need each other. We're all essential. And if you, like, someone just punched me in the stomach right now, what would happen? My hand would go where the pain is. I would crumble. All the members of our body draws attention to that one member that is hurt. And that is what it's supposed to do in the body of Christ. One member suffers, and we're all to be suffering along with it. But what usually happens? Somebody stops coming to youth group because this guy broke up with this girl or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. Oh, well. They're our family. If your literal brother or literal sister, those of us that have siblings, like broke up with someone, we'd be like, oh, that's too bad. Oh, well. Like, we're going to see him every day. We're going to be thinking about how to bring reconciliation, how to come for that person. Why would we think any different about God's family? That is the question for you and I. We're supposed to be looking for the mutual edification of one another. And we need God's spirit to do it. Every part is necessary. So, our lives should be quiet in the sense that we are aiming to live in harmony and peace with others while serving God in whatever capacity he leads us. We're supposed to be serving God, living this quiet life of diligence, knowing that We don't need to be noticed to be used of the Lord. Finally, number three, our last point is this. Don't focus on other people's flaws. Don't focus on other people's flaws. Firstly, we talked about today that if you need to be noticed, it could be a sign of pride. Secondly, you don't need to be noticed for God to use you. And in fact... Sometimes those working behind the scenes are the ones that are most essential. The prayer warriors, you are probably more essential than me. The people that are doing good deeds in secret, you're probably more essential than me. God needs us to be doing things quietly and in secret so he can reward us openly and do his work. And not have the mixed motivation of selfish ambition tainting it. Number three is don't focus on other people's flaws. And this is what he says in verse 11 once again. In 1 Thessalonians, if you're still there, he says, Aspire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own 
business and work with your hands as we commanded you. So mind your own business. In other words, you could paraphrase this by saying this. Don't fill up your time focusing on what everyone else is doing. And this could be stemming from insecurity about your own. You're not really sure who God's called you to be, so you spend your time knocking everybody else's calling. But instead, you can be who God has created you uniquely to be. I mean, we have, if we just spent more time focusing on our calling, on what God's calling us to do, we'd be less concerned about everybody else's mistakes and flaws. Yes, people hurt you. Yes, people are sinful. But you know what? I'm pretty sinful. I need some help. And if we just took some time to say, Lord, search me and know me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way, me, way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. If we just pray that prayer, like God will answer that prayer. You've been praying for like, Lord, I pray that you just like give my parents a lot of money so I can get a brand new car for free. You've been praying for that prayer? Like God's like, eh, I don't know about that one. You know what prayer God will always answer? Lord, show me what sin is in my life. Oh, he doesn't want to show me. That's okay. I didn't need to know. He will always answer that prayer because he's faithful and he wants you to become more like him. Uh, in, in the story about David, remember when he's fighting Goliath? And then Saul is like, well, you can't just go out there by yourself. Like, you're a shepherd boy. You, you need armor. And David puts it on. He's like, I don't think I fit in this. And you know what? Saul, in that moment, could have been like, David. If only David were as big as me. If only David looked like me. If only David was as strong as me. Then he'd be able to fit in my armor. And then he'd be able to destroy Goliath. Actually, it was the very fact that David did not rely on the armor. He was able to be used of God and slay Goliath. Actually, when we don't look like everybody else, it creates the perfect opportunity for us to be used of God, to be uniquely who we've been called to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. Once again, we read this, but might as well say it again. If we were all one member, where would the body be? So what happens when we're jealous, when we're looking at everybody else's business? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. Gossip. I think about, and maybe you've done this before, hopefully not, hopefully you're not as stupid as me. I was harboring bitterness in my heart years ago against one of my friends who is like now one of my best friends. He's not in this room, don't worry. But harboring bitterness and just like, he just annoyed me to death, couldn't stand him. And just the things that he said, I nitpicked everything that he did. And then one day I was texting my friend and I was just like, oh, I can't believe what he did again. And I'm texting this whole paragraph of thing, sent it to the wrong guy, sent it to him. And he's just like, uh, like question mark, question mark, question mark. And I was like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that to you. But I, I just like no explanation for that, right? It's so embarrassing. But imagine whenever we gossip about people, we thought about it in those terms. Before I say this to somebody else, would this be something I could say to their face? And that could actually prevent us from harboring bitterness and sharing things that we should not be sharing. And listen, it can often feel impossible to keep ourselves from mouthing what we're bitter about. This is why the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why you're with your parents, they're yelling at you, so you yell at them. Or you're thinking about in an argument having the perfect comeback. 
and your mind's thinking about it. As you're leaving, you're like laying on the on your pillow at night, you're like, I could have said this. Oh, yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah, I'm going to totally get them next time, right? We all think about it. But what if we thought about the damage we're creating when we gossip, when we speak harsh words? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many relationships have been destroyed through our gossip? through backbiting, through saying things that we shouldn't say. This is why we need to end gossip, because gossip, ladies and gentlemen, ends godly relationships. When we say things, even if we don't mean it, right, we're just venting. But somebody takes that seriously, and they share it to somebody else. Oh, they're really mad at you, right? Don't do that. Yeah, like I was talking to Alan, and he seemed really mad. Don't do that to people. That's terrible. Let, just push it back. Someone shares something to you and they're frustrated, they're venting, like, hey, have you thought about talking to that person? Oh, I would never talk to that person. Well, then why are you telling me? I just need somebody that cares. That's what you got to watch out for, right? You're the only one that cares. And that's why we listen, because we feel like it gives something to us. It makes our relationship more valuable, right? It puffs us up to know wow, this person trusts me so much with this valuable information. They're sharing their heart. I'm somebody that matters. That makes you selfish. And instead, we should reject that and say, listen, I just, I know, like, you're frustrated. I think you should talk to, like, a pastor. I think you should talk to that person because I just don't think this is something that's going to be beneficial if you talk to me about that thing. And what you know is, like, the next day, maybe they're just venting, and they didn't even mean half the things that they said. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. And this is so easy to do these days, especially with social media. We have, we're going to be so accountable, because the Bible says we'll be held accountable for every idle word that we say. And i got to imagine that God's not going to, we're, we're not going to go to heaven, and God's going to be like, yeah, I meant literally like spoken, but like if you tweeted about it, if you put it on Instagram, put it on your Snapchat, it didn't count. Don't worry. I think God's going to hold us accountable for the things we put on social media. And when you're venting and you have easy access to be like, oh, I'm so mad, I'm going to write these song lyrics. I wonder for that, who that's about, you know. Like, we're going to be held accountable for those things. You've got to be careful. So, two quick ways to combat gossip and we'll close this out. Number one, resist the urge to probe. Resist the urge to know everything about a situation. The Bible also talks about gossip as being tasty morsels that go into the innermost body. We love to hear gossip. We love to hear what other people are saying. But be okay not knowing everything. See somebody crying. Oh, what's wrong? Tell me everything, every detail. Tell me everything that's happening in your life. Be okay saying, you know what? If you need someone to talk to, I'm here. But, you know, I, I'm also okay. I understand if you don't want to share it with me. Number two, guard your heart from covetousness. Asking yourself, can you rejoice with those who rejoice? Can you weep with those who weep? Kind of like what we talked about before. All right. Closing out. We're out of time. In conclusion, in John chapter 3, I love this. I think this puts a nice little bow on this entire talk that we did tonight. Hopefully this is helpful. I don't know if this was. Hopefully it was. John chapter 3. John the Baptist. The guy who said, here comes Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I am one, a, a voice 
crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's my job. Just a voice pointing to the word, the logos. Okay, so John the Baptist is confronted to a disciple. And people actually told John, they said this in John chapter 3, verse 26. Rabbi, teacher, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. So they started telling John, like, hey, dude, like, remember, like, we had this huge crowd going, a lot of people were coming, and now Jesus is baptizing, and everybody is, like, giving him attention. So, like, John's innocent followers are telling John, like, listen, we'll beat Jesus up if you want, right? Like, don't do, don't do that. That's bad, right? And this is what John says. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness, and I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is what he says, by way of analogy. He says, listen, if you're the best man in a wedding, you are stoked that your best friend is getting married. And when you get to be there to witness, you hand the rings. I'm just using an analogy. Obviously, they didn't have rings back then, right? When you're handing off the ring to the groom, you're not jealous. That'd be super awkward, right? Just, I can't believe he's marrying her. Oh, gosh. <laughs> your entire role. And those of you that have been at weddings before, like, they just melt your heart, right? When you actually get to handle, you watch the groom putting on that wedding ring on um, his bride. Your joy is fulfilled. That's what John is saying about Jesus. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is my role. I understand I'm not supposed to be the center of attention Jesus is. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So get this. Everyone look up here. As Christians, we don't need the spotlight because we know it ultimately belongs to Jesus. Our entire role is to put the spotlight on him, to draw people's attention to him. And because of that, we're actually free of the pressures of the spotlight. Your life is not under a microscope people. You don't have to look to just save the world. You don't have to look to make sure everything happens and you're successful. You can just put it on Jesus's shoulders knowing that he's the one who's God. He's the one who's in control and he's the one who we deserve to give all of the glory and praise. Amen. Let's pray.